All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hyde Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes a, a newsletter, uh, an alert system in which he provides people on, a, on an ongoing basis of recommendations. That newsletter is, what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? And to sign up for either of those newsletters, go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or you may call our number here in New York City uh, during normal work hours at 718 457 one four two six seven one eight four five seven one four two six. Do you want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it uh, one of the more profit, uh, one of the more uh, well listened to shows on the Voice America Business Channel? And also like to encourage you to continue to send your questions and comments, criticisms and praises along to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four Taylor at gmail.com. Also follow me on Twitter at J Taylor Media. I do want to thank our sponsors for today's show for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors are Metanor Resources and Avino Silver and Gold Mines. And just a word or two about those two sponsors. Metanor, uh, well, certainly the shareholders of Metanor have suffered through an awful lot of dilution over these rough years. But the company is really coming back. Uh, Certainly its share price is back. It's up 150% uh, this year. It's still a penny stock, but it's up very dramatically, uh, not only because of the rising gold price, but they've also made what looks like a very significant gold discovery at their Bachelor Lake mine in Quebec. There is indeed some very valuable assets here. Uh, the uh, the need to issue shares at very low prices has no doubt hurt long-term shareholders, but uh, that doesn't mean there's not opportunities for people who look at this story right now. So I'll be talking to Ron Perry in the near future for an update on Metanor Resources. Also, uh, with regard to Vino Silver and Gold Mines, they have been a sponsor in the past. I'm really glad to have them back. I've known this company, uh, David Wolfen and his father, for many, many years, and I've really enjoyed watching them progress their their mining operation in Mexico, doing doing very, very well now, increasing production very dramatically, keeping the cost at a very low level, and not only in Mexico, but very soon they'll be opening up. Uh, the Braylorn Gold Mine, a very high-grade underground gold mine in British Columbia. Uh, so a lot of very exciting things happening for Avino Silver and Gold Mines. And I will be talking to David Wolfen. It's scheduled to be uh, to be on my show on April 5th uh, to provide an update for um, on all that's going on with Avino Silver and Gold Mines. It is a great time 
to buy gold stocks, or it's or it certainly seems that way. It has been so far this year. The market seems to be waking up. The precious metals market, after a long slumber over a number of years, it's been a devastating time. Share prices have been beaten down so badly uh, that even if gold weren't in a bull market, you would they would have to rally a bit. Uh, Michael Oliver will be with me in a little while, and we'll get his take on whether this gold bull market is for real. I know the last I talked to him a week ago, he felt it was. We'll get his take on it now. It's very important because if this is the start of a bull market for gold, then there's going to be some very big money made in the gold mining sector. I should mention that my model portfolio is up 23.25%, 23.25% so far this year. Uh, compare it with a break-even for the S&P 500, essentially, so far this year. Should mention just a couple of standout stocks in the uh, on my list in my newsletter. Um, the Project Generators Cornerstone Capital is up 270% so far this year. They have a major copper-gold porphyry discovery in Ecuador that is being funded by their joint venture partner. Uh, this also, though, remains a penny stock and very low price penny stock, I think still has tremendous upside potential given their 15% carried interest in this major deposit that's evolving and being, uh, being uh, explored and developed. Another prospect generator that's done very well this year is Riverside Resources. They've also been a sponsor to this show in the past, as has Cornerstone. Riverside uh, is... Uh, doing extremely well with a number of things in Mexico and also a very uh, very interesting prospect in Arizona. So I do, uh, John Mark Stoudy, actually, I recently did an interview with him, which you can listen to at the podcast page at J. Taylor Media, J. Taylor Media. I also like to mention that our energy and tech sector is now coming around into positive territory, headed up by Sarepta Therapeutics, which is a Chen Lin favorite. Chen has been on this show to talk about it. It is one of my favorites as well, and I own that stock personally and also, of course, is a recommendation in my newsletter. Well, there's lots of reasons to be excited about the gold and silver mining sector now, I believe, for sure, if this is the start of a bull market. But to fully take advantage of this return of the gold bull market, I think you might do well considering subscribing to my newsletter, a little shameless plug there, but go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com to sign up for J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Or you can call our office here in New York during normal work hours, 718-457-1426. Some of you have been asking about Dynasert. Uh, that's a, a share, the share prices have not performed well. They've been a recent sponsor. I will be talking to Jim Payne uh, in the near future, I think on March 29th, actually next week, he's scheduled to be a guest on this show. And uh, I can just tell you at this point that I personally remain as optimistic as ever about Dinosaur. Well, let's talk about today's show. I've titled it Hillary and the NATO Empire versus Gaddafi, Trump, and Gold. Ellen Brown and Michael Oliver return as guests on today's show. As I noted last week, Ellen Brown uh, was going to be with me this weekend, and she is scheduled to be with me. Um, she's going to talk about an article that she wrote called Exposing the Libyan Agenda, A Closer Look at Hillary's Emails. Well, drawing from a couple of Hillary's emails that have recently been declassified, it is now clear that the reason the U.S. destroyed Libya and turned it over to ISIS was to engage in a scorched-earth policy to stop Gaddafi from expanding his gold-backed monetary system, which he was planning to expand throughout 52 African nations. Uh, and he had planned, and those countries were in agreement with, establishing a pan-African economic trade union that would be based on a gold-backed dinar. Very interesting and also very threatening 
uh, to the empire, uh, the American, the NATO American empire as it stands right now. So, you know, as Hillary Clinton once said, we want to have democracy in Libya and the, and the North African countries, but we want it to be our kind of democracy, she said. Well, I suspect our kind of democracy means that our, it had to be a democracy that used a monetary system based on the dollar, not on an honest monetary system based on gold. What the American empire demands, and what we continue to demand, and this has allowed the American empire to expand so rapidly post-World War II, is an unfair advantage of using the dollar that can be created out of endless amounts of, of thin air. And, of course, backing this dollar has been the petrodollar that was put in place by Kissinger right after Nixon took the U.S. dollar off of the gold standard and caused all the currencies around the world to float. Well, this has, of course, given the U.S. a tremendous advantage, but at the expense of many other countries. And so uh, this is now coming under some real, uh, some real competition, especially as the foundation of the global economy uh, under the U.S. dollar is, is not in such great shape, as David Stockman reminds us on a regular basis. And as John uh, Perkins has told us on this show uh, in Confessions of an Economic Hitman, his view was that one of the main reasons that Saddam Hussein was taken out of circulation and put to death was because he dared to uh, require payment for his oil in euros rather than dollars. But it seems as though Gaddafi committed a sin far more egregious than what Saddam committed. Not only did Gaddafi seek to compete against the U.S. dollar by putting in the gold dinar, but he, uh, but, uh, but he also uh, was looking to expand that, as I noted, to some 53 African nations. So in other words, putting in a gold-backed monetary system that would, in all honesty, would be much more honest and fair than a U.S. dollar-based system that is created out of nothing. Of course, uh, with our military might, forces countries to use the U.S. dollar. Well, this is coming up now, as William Engdahl has talked on this show, it is really becoming uh, a bone of contention, uh, a very serious one between the nations who are just really not happy with the, uh, with the, current, um, with the current monetary architecture uh, that is being forced on them. So we're going to talk today uh, to Ellen Brown about uh, this issue in uh, the real reason that uh, Gaddafi was dethroned and, and kicked out. Uh, we were given some reasons. As always, there is propaganda. There's reasons to give the masses for giving up their lives uh, to fight for their country, so to speak. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, uh, those reasons uh, certainly, um, what is it said? The first casualty of war is the truth. Uh, and so we have to have reasons to give up our lives. Sometimes are not the real reasons that we are ba- being asked to fight. And so we'll we'll look to um, uh, Ellen for some insights in, uh, into her latest uh, article that she wrote about that. Um, as I wrote in my last weekly newsletter, I noted that uh, uh, Donald Trump, like Gaddafi, understands the virtue of gold as money. Of course, uh, the two go together. Uh, take away the counterfeit dollar and allow gold to compete internationally as a monetary system, and the chances for those who control the system to continue pushing for a one-world government will not succeed. So we're really looking at issues of sovereignty, which uh, certainly Gaddafi stood for, Trump stood for. They both understood, I believe Trump understands gold 
uh, for better or worse, um, that seems to be the idea of putting down the globalists, looking for national sovereignty. These are issues, I think, that are appealing very broadly to a lot of Americans, uh, and uh, it's a very interesting time, to say the least, uh, in the electoral process here in the United States. I wasn't uh, really aware that uh, much of what Ellen Brown drew on for her article uh, came from William Engdahl, who was uh, just a couple of weeks ago was a was on this show. I just really uh, can't recommend highly enough William Engdahl's work. It's WilliamEngdahl.com, but he's written an article uh, exactly on uh, this issue that Ellen Brown talked about, and and we'll talk to Ellen about in a little while. So you might want to go to William Engdahl. Dot com to uh, to read more of what he's uh, what he's talking about on this issue and many others as well. We do have to go to commercial break, but don't go away because coming up next, uh, I'll have Michael Oliver with me. We are talking geopolitics today, but we also want to keep up with the markets and try to determine, you know, where we should have our money right now. And uh, Michael always has a lot of great advice. Uh, he is my favorite technical analyst, one that I use. And read every day his, uh, his insights because I have found them personally to be very, very helpful to me. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Oliver. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dynacert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by 30 to 40 percent, increase torque, and provide up to 15 percent in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Dynacert's ability to reduce greenhouse gases provides long-term benefits to the environment. Dynacert trades on the TSX Venture, symbol DYA, and the OTCBB symbol DYFSF. The website is dinosert.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again uh, my almost every week guest, Michael Oliver. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Jay, good to be back. Thanks. 
always good to have you, and it's always good to tell my listeners, OliverMSA.com, Oliver, M as in Mary, S as in Sam, A as in Albert.com, to keep up with Michael and uh, hopefully to subscribe to his excellent newsletter, which, as I just mentioned before the break, uh, it's a can't-do-without missive that comes out several times a week uh, on various markets, always very helpful. And I would say, Michael, in particular, what's helpful to me about your work is to get a sense of the major trends that are going on. Uh, You know, I mean, I'm not trying to trade hour by hour or day by day even. I'm looking for, to have a sense of where my portfolio should be weighted in which sectors, which areas of the market. So that's what's very helpful. You know, um, you like to look at relative performance a lot, uh, which oftentimes gives you a better sense of the big picture of what is taking place uh, in the markets. Uh, can you talk to our listeners a little bit about some of the sectors that have been outperforming and you expect will continue to outperform and what that may be telling you about the bigger picture, the macro picture, if you will? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I think the uh, commodity asset category, which, of course, is, is almost always led by gold, uh, both in terms of the net price trend direction of that category. Gold will turn up first, then commodities later. But when you relative perform assess gold versus, for instance, in the weekend report just passed, I measured it against the Dow Jones World Index, stock index. And sure enough, it echoed what happened early this year uh, in the measurements of gold versus the S&P, which is to say it broke out upside. Mm-hmm. after uh, Since 2011, when gold topped, not only did its price top, but it went down while the S&P went up, and therefore the relative performance of gold was not only negative, but even worse when you exaggerate yeah. by the upside in the S&P. But mm-hmm. when you measure that on a spread basis, one versus the other, uh, ignoring the price charts of each individual one, but putting them on a spread chart and then running momentum of that spread, uh, I use annual momentum often or quarterly momentum, uh, we had a three-year base uh, wide base in the gold versus S&P spread. We broke out in January, mm-hmm. uh, where you, anybody with a crayon who was plotting this chart could say, oh my goodness, there's a change, big change. Uh, we're dealing with monthly readings, not daily. Uh, and again, we're not focused on price, we're focused on the, 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 the difference between the two, the valuation levels. That was a major turn. Silver broke out as well. Uh, the GDX, the gold mining uh, sector, which had been beat off the page, broke out versus the S&P, not just having a nice rally while the S&P went down, but breaking a multi-year basing structure. Uh, this has happened, this is also about to happen with the emerging markets, which, as we all know, are commodity-based or largely commodity-influenced, and they've been beat up while the S&P went up. So their relative performance has been bad, but it's now about to shift in the wake, probably, of the, the early signal by gold. Uh, the XLE, the energy sector, which has been vastly beat up in the last year and a half while the S&P has gone sideways, uh, is on the cusp of turning up versus the S&P. The metals and mining sector, I'm talking base stuff now, XME is the ETF for it. This would be iron ore type people, copper miners, and so forth. Uh, that has broken out of a significant base on a relative performance basis versus the S&P. So what does this all mean? Well, what it means is that there's a, the, the investors out there, at least the initial wave, are starting to reassess their position, uh, favorability rating of, of the stock market versus commodities, and they're shifting back to commodities. Uh, this is something that prevailed, for example, for around 2000 low in most commodities. Uh, if you'd have bought a, a basket, uh, right now the Bloomberg Commodity Index or the CRB Index, if you've maneuvered yourself into a position of owning 
commodities versus stocks, you beat the pants off the stock market. Uh, that changed in 2011. We had a major decline in that relative performance uh, that lasted several years. Now it's turning back up again. So I see this asset class shift preference, and obviously it's led by what we call the smart money, whoever they are, uh, where a few, you know, five or ten percent of investors start to shift their assets, and it starts to show up in these spread relationships. Uh, and then later on, when the public gets wind of it, then, then the, you know, the money flow starts even more obviously. So I think that's what's underway. And I think it uh, disfavors stocks, favors commodities, certainly gold, favors, favors gold over, over the S&P. And I think this means something. Uh, in the weekend report, I also have done a lot of spread measurements of the yield curve. And as we know, the, because of the central banks, the long end of the market, 30-year bonds, 20-year type instruments, and so forth, have driven down in yields to a, uh, have squashed the yield curve down to levels we've never seen before, where uh, long-term debt yield is uh, approaching short-term debt yield. Uh, this looks like it's ready to change as well. When I measure the momentum of these yield curve measurements, it suggests to me that this depression of the yield on the long end is about to snap and go up. Now, that's the end of the market that the Fed controls the least, yeah. 30-year bonds, so forth, 10-year uh, notes, uh, similar, similar instruments in Europe. What does it mean? Well, if I see a potential turn up in the yield market, the long end of the market, rise in yields, drop in price, that could also be in the wake of what? A commodity upturn. Sure. Uh, you know, the central banks have been uh, hoping and praying for their 2% inflation. What <laughs> I'm seeing in the charts is there's the potential here. You're going to get a lot more than that out of the commodity end of the world, a lot more than 2%. Yeah. Uh, in, in some of these markets, it will be a genuine bull trend, gold. Uh, I think oil could have a major bear market rally up to about sixty dollars. Hmm. Uh, and and now if, you know you take oil from under thirty and you take it to sixty, uh, there's no two percent in there. I'm seeing the same thing in copper. Uh, corn is breaking out on my momentum work. Sugar's already broken out. So it, it, you know the walls are crumbling here, and the the central banks which provided the liquidity for this to happen. But it was delayed until the investor finally made the decision, okay, I'm going to move some of that flow of liquidity out of my stock position and into a commodity position. Oh, and I think they're going to be shocked by the percent gain that they get out of commodity inflation metrics. Probably well, that's apparent a, by the end of this year, even. You know. uh, so there, there could possibly be some money, I would think, finally made on the short end of the, uh, of the U.S. Treasury cur uh, market. Yes, yeah, uh, that, would, that would be a lagged effect, I think, but that would be a traumatic one. Uh, oh. You know, think of the, uh, what it does to the, the real estate market. If sure. you suddenly increased long yields by 75% uh, above where they are right now, which even then the yield would be uh, historically low, but it would be a sharp change. What would it do to, for example, the uh, high-yield debt issuers who are already in trouble? Uh, yeah, Gee, oh, yeah, my goodness. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. So it, it's a, there's, there's a lot of things interconnected here that appear to be uh, either, one, have already been signaled, or two, are on the cusp and look like it's merely an issue of which month do they do it. 
Well, all I can see is uh, the prospects for helicopter money. When, when I hear you talking about the notion that, you know, a, a spiking up due to the markets, beyond the control of the central banks, as you point out, that interest rates start to spike up on the long end of the yield curve, affecting the housing market, maybe sending it into another tailspin downward, uh, you know, businesses going bankrupt and so forth from higher rates. Uh, unless they have revenues that offset that and they can handle it, I, I don't know. There are some will, some won't. But it just seems to me, Michael, you know, we're hearing the talk from the um, Financial Times, uh, Martin Wolf, uh, others uh, on the mainstream media talking about, well, maybe we need helicopter money now. The government needs to start shoveling money into the accounts of, of individuals. Ron Paul's talked about that on this show already, about how he says, sure, they can do it. Sure, they can do helicopter money. It's just not literally helicopters, but it's checks written out to Americans and, and put in their bank accounts. And uh, maybe, who knows, the markets are forward-looking, aren't they? And so maybe, mm-hmm. yes. maybe what you're seeing in your momentum work uh, with some of these key commodity markets, a switch, a change, uh, collectively, the markets are starting to tell us something like that could be in the cards. Hopefully not that extreme, but something more like what we saw in the late 70s, perhaps, or something like that. Yes, I could easily see that. And it's uh, yeah, the CBs will get what they, <laughs> not what they wish for, but they, they pave the road. And yeah. the, the issue, though, is always, and this is historically true, the central banks can create liquidity, lots of it. But they don't always determine where it goes. Now, they lucked up on the stock side starting in, uh, you know, after the 2009 lows, yeah. uh, especially after 2011. Uh, the public did buy stocks with the money, especially developed market stock indexes, European and U.S. and U.K., not so much emerging markets. So they seemed to get their wish. They wanted that asset category buoyed for psychological reasons other, and others, and they got their, their uh, end result uh, maybe a bit more than they even wanted. Uh, the problem now is if investors shift that, that flow, that river of money, to some other asset category, then the CBs print more to think they could get more stock upside, for example, to protect that asset category. It's not going to go where they want it to go. Mm-hmm. It's going into well, a preference area. Yeah, they can't, they can't really control that. But one last question, Michael, before we, uh, before we just continue our, our conversation today for lack of time. But I would ask you, I'm just looking at your uh, your chart over the weekend here that shows uh, gold monthly versus the Dow Jones World Stock Index. Uh, and going back and looking at this, you know, last year I can remember so clearly about this time, we thought maybe gold was breaking out. And it looks like it started to, uh, you know, about this time last year, the first three months or so. And then we had another decline, a very serious decline. Uh, and it, you know, it really, it, it really hurt a lot of us that were long gold stocks. This year, I see a more pronounced rise above that 10-month average that you show on your charts. And also, then, I see on your momentum chart below, whereas last year, uh, the, the, the momentum almost got to that perforated horizontal line but didn't get through it decisively. This year, it has. Is this mm-hmm. suggesting that this, this year it's probably for real, where last that, year it, it wasn't? That's a spread chart you're talking about, and the momentum of the spread, yeah, the relationship right. between global stocks and gold. But when that's you run right. a gold uh, study itself using monthly bar chart of gold price, then convert it to annual momentum, I also had a breakout uh, uh-huh. in February, early February, at the price yes. of 1140 to 1160 area. So we're now $100 above there, roughly. Uh, so both of those long-term metrics of gold, both its relationship to the asset category of stocks and gold in it of itself, have broken out. I think all we're seeing now is congestion after the breakout surge, which was about $100 above the level at which 
uh, MSA had signaled uh, major buying gold, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just a congestion zone. In fact, it's, if you think about it, 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 bonds, for example, and gold, T-bonds, are still inverse to the S&P. I think at mm-hmm. some point bonds could become weak like the S&P uh, once the, the contagion we talked about affects them, the commodity yeah. rise. Uh, but bonds have held fairly well the last six weeks while stocks have had a heck of a rally, and gold has held quite steady. You can basically yes. draw a line through the last six weeks of gold action, and it just flip-flops either side of it. Yes. So you would expect, looking at the S&P, that gold's back down to 1,100. Mm-hmm. But it it's isn't. It's not, no. It's showing <laughs> yeah. a lot of strength, yeah. Yes. Very good. Well, thank you, Michael, again, for your insights. Always, always very valuable, and I want to thank you for spending the time with us and uh, look forward to doing it again, hopefully next week. So thanks very much. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. All right, folks, well, we do have to go to break, but when we come back, I'm going to have Ellen Brown with me to talk about Libya, Gaddafi, the real reasons for the war. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Ellen Brown. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation, which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015. Avino has partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. Dinosaur is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by 30 to 40 percent, increase torque, and provide up to 15 percent in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Dinosaur's ability to reduce greenhouse gases provides long-term benefits to the environment. Dinosaur trades on the TSX Venture, symbol DYA, and the OTCBB symbol DYFSF. The website is dinosaur.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Ellen Brown. Ellen's been with us a number of times, so I'm not going to read through her lengthy bio, but just to tell you that uh, she is an author, attorney, speaker, and activist, and she's an activist, I think, for some very just causes. Ellen and I don't necessarily agree on everything and some of the, uh, on the monetary front, but I do agree with her, with her goals of 
uh, social justice and honesty in the banking system and, and in government, and she is a tireless uh, activist in that regard. She writes prolifically. Uh, you need to go to ellenbrown.com, ellenbrown.com, uh, to learn more about Ellen and, and keep up with her work. Uh, she is very. She's been involved in the past uh, in abuses in the medical system. Uh, she's written a book called Forbidden Medicine, and I guess the book that probably brought me to Ellen and brought Ellen to the show is Web of Debt about the Federal Reserve and the Money Trust and how that is being used uh, basically to siphon off wealth from the people that create it. I like to say the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, the people that really do things for us. Uh, are not getting their fair share, and I think much of what's going on in the political climate these days uh, with uh, Bernie Sanders as well as Donald Trump have much to do with uh, with the sense of injustice that's going on. And, of course, what we want to do is find the right answers, but Ellen certainly starts by pointing out, uh, provides a basis for, for understanding what's going on. Uh, and so thanks for joining me again. Ellen, it's always good to have you with me. <laughs> thanks, Jay. It's always good to talk to you. And uh, I don't know if it, we, we were starting, you were starting to say something as we went on the show. I don't know if it's something you'd care to pass along to the, the general public or was something that you wanted to tell me. If, if it's something you'd like to share, go ahead. Oh, well, I, it wasn't a, a shareable, but I, you were saying about um, that we disagreed on some things. But it seems to me that we're at the point in history where everybody's coming together. And so, uh-huh. you know, we're, we're merging on the things we agree on because we need a movement. I mean, we need to change the system. And uh, yeah, absolutely. We, the numbers, the 99%, obviously outnumber the 1%, but we have to get together. But they have all the money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what we're up against. But, I, but I, I absolutely agree with you, and I think that, uh, you know, even though uh, you know, your, your system, the banking system that you'd like to see, while I may prefer, I guess, maybe the main difference would be a gold-backed system, but I, I agree with you that constitutionally, the, you know, I think you're on the right on the money in terms of what the way it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be an outside banking. It's not supposed to be an independent uh, private sector banking uh, banker to the, to the country. So anyway, um, I'd like to talk to you today about, um, you know, some of the, the, your most recent article that, that you've written uh, uh, having to do with uh, Gaddafi's demise and... Um, and Hillary Clinton's emails. Uh, during October 2011, Hillary Clinton was uh, praised for the killing of Gaddafi. Uh, the media referred to it as a victory lap, and a, a jubilant Hillary Clinton was quoted as saying, We came, we saw, we died. What were the reasons Americans have been led to believe the killing of Gaddafi was a good thing? Why, why were, what, what, was, what was so wonderful and just about getting rid of Gaddafi? I mean, we, we know there was that airliner that went down, uh, but what, what, was that the real reason? Well, it, the, the immediate reason was he was supposedly um, ordering the mass murder and rape of his own people. And so we were supposedly going in there for humanitarian reasons to save the people from this mad dictator. But as you, but we'd had diplomatic re- relationships with Libya for a long time. I actually saw a really good interview of his son where he, the son said that the mistake they made was in not building up their military because they thought that everything was fine, you know, that they'd smoothed out relations with the West and they were all getting along and business was good. And, and so that's why they had avoided building up a military, but they should have because they needed it. Yeah. 
they needed some defense. Uh, they they thought they were. Um, I guess the the fox guarding the chicken coop uh, was acting very very kind to the chickens. They didn't really understand that there might be a that that fox might get hungry, or whatever. But in, in yeah. any event. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for various reasons. But anyway, yeah. Can you? Yeah. So all right. So can you describe for us what life was like uh, for the Libyans? after Gaddafi was killed. I mean, I, I'm reading, it, it looked like it's just sheer hell over there, the way, it, the way it seems from what even our mainstream media is talking about. I mean, there's no, it seems to be no functioning government at all. It just seems to be utter chaos. Right. Um, they've got two governments that are, so it's basically a civil war, and they've got masses of immigrants that are, that are leaving the country, and that's part of the immigrant problem in Europe. And then they have um, actually a genocide going on with with black Africans who are being labeled terrorists, but in fact they were the they were the guest workers that came in. In fact, oh. I saw a little thing where the the symbol of these alleged terrorists is this hat, which is actually the hat the helmet that a construction worker wears because that's oh. who they were. They were the construction workers, but for some reason there's this pre- prejudice against black Africans as opposed to. I'm not sure what what you call the Libyans, but yeah. so so that, but there's literal you know thousands of them are just being wiped out, and they're they're all these young people are in prison and there's no you know recourse there's no trial there's lots of killings lots of kidnappings, and the one thing that we NATO and the U S did was to bomb their this. Excellent. The, the largest irrigation system in the world that Gaddafi had built over 40 years, called the Great Man-Made River Project, which was bringing water to 70% of the population. So we bombed it, bombed the the pipes. But not only that, we actually bombed the factory where they made the pipes. So obviously, it was not like an accident. It was yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, aren't we aren't we such wonderful people? We do those yeah. things too. Uh, well, but you know, there must if you know if if this guy was raping his own people, uh, you know. But this seems to me, Ellen, something we've heard before. This movie we've seen before. Syria was the latest one. We had Iraq, uh, supposedly Saddam. We always hear the same thing. Now, maybe it's true. I I don't know, but we always hear the same thing about how some evil dictator, when we decide to go against him, some evil dictator is suddenly we become concerned about his about his people, and then we go in and bomb the whole country, kill a whole bunch more, I guess, to try to get rid of one guy uh, that's mm-hmm. supposedly responsible for all the evils in the country. Yeah, we should be able to send our brilliant CIA in to just get the one guy. I mean, it should be a, um, you know, a crime as opposed to a war. But the, the, on the question of whether these things were actually happening, that was what was so interesting about Hillary, Hillary's emails that were just released, the ones released at, in late December, that uh, were about a third, there were 3,000 emails about, and about a third of them were from Sidney Blumenthal, which is her good friend and confidant for the last 20 years or so, who... Um, so he said in these emails that that the stories of rapes and murders were rumors, and oh. that they were probably and they were started by the they came from the rebels. So you can see how 
in other words, they had no evidence for them, and there were um, humanitarian organizations that looked into it at the time and said there was no evidence for it, and so they questioned the claims. And if you think about it, it's pretty... The, the mass rape story was about... Um, supposedly, Gaddafi was given his troops Viagra so that they would do these mass rapes. Mm. Um, but there, and there was no evidence for that, but except supposedly there was a box of Viagra found outside of a tank that had been blown <laughs> up. So it was like this passport that fell out of the World Trade Center planes, you know, that just landed on the ground and somehow yeah. escaped. This. So this, this box of Viagra survived the, the blowing up of the tanks. This would be a good ad for Viagra, actually. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so but we don't have to have proof. And that becomes then, I mean, because I heard, I think I heard that during that time frame. Of, I mean, that was a rumor that was circulated in our media. And, well, gee, we're a just country. We do good things for people. We've got to go out there and get this evil Qaddafi and, and just make things a whole lot better. But from well, all I can see, it seems to be sort of a movie that we've seen many times as well. When we go into these countries, things have not gotten better. They've gotten chaotic and hellish, if anything, in Iraq and elsewhere. Um, you know, you talked about the, that, um, that canal that was built, the world's longest um, irrigation canal, I guess, right? And, and they, pipe, financed yeah. they, they financed it. it without debt. Pipe, yeah. They financed right. it without debt, right? Yeah. So this appears to be the real trigger for for the invasion. Or there was one of these emails was from uh, Sidney Blumenthal to Hillary, and it it was saying the reason that Sarkozy had joined the campaign was that he had discovered when he discovered that um, Gaddafi was mobilizing the African countries. To, well, he had a hundred and I think it was one hundred and forty three tons of gold, mm-hmm. which he was they were using it to back their own gold dinar, which was issued by their own central banks. Um, and the plan was to have all of Africa use only these gold dinars, so it'd be a pan African currency, mm-hmm. and it's basically a United States of Africa. Um, and this plan was supposed to go into effect in twenty twenty three. There were fifty three countries that had met several times on this and and they were so basically they were attempting to establish monetary and economic sovereignty from from the west so and at at that time france was the dominant or you know the dominant power in that area so they wanted to maintain their their uh, neo-colonial status and uh, and they were quite threatened by this this gold dinar that um, in in Libya, if you wanted to trade with with Libya, you had to go through their central bank and you had to use these gold dinars. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't use uh, the currencies that are you know mm-hmm. dollars and so forth. Sure. Yeah. So this would if the whole the whole continent were mobilized to do the same thing Libya did, which is have their own banking system. You were talking about how your banking ideas and mine were a bit different, where you would have mm-hmm. a gold backed currency, but they're they're Gaddafi did a combination of both our ideas where he yes. had a central bank that was totally publicly owned, yes. uh, which issued the national currency, which issued credit interest-free for themselves. In other words, they used their own bank to fund this amazing irrigation system, which cost $33 billion. And, um, 
and they were completely economically self-sufficient. And with that, they had, like, free medical care, uh, free education. They were working on free housing for all. They hadn't actually pulled that off yet. But So they had many perks. Life was... Of course, there there are always people who complain, and I had I you know I've researched it a lot because I don't want to come out. I mean, I want to make sure I see all sides, and and mm-hmm. there are certainly people who are dissatisfied with how things are going. But it, life was clearly much better before we went in than it is now, and so if we went in for humanitarian purposes, then it was a disaster. But if yeah. we went in to kill this gold dinar idea and this pan-African um, currency and economic union, then we succeeded. Yeah, it was a huge it. success, I would imagine, yeah. because how's... Yeah, I mean, I mean, Gaddafi was the leader of that whole thing, and I, I'm, I'm sure sometime along the way, someone else will probably rise up again and, and seek to go back to a gold-backed currency because that's what people have been doing for thousands of years. They've been using gold and silver as money. But yes, I think that's, uh, you're right, he's doing both both what you agree to and what I agree to. I mean, the, our Constitution in the United States requires the Congress, not uh, the Congress, to be in charge of the monetary system. So at least if we went back to that, I think that would be a, a plus. And William Engdahl, who you know, I know, has written a lot about his view is that both uh, both Lincoln and Kennedy, who both seem to have gone against the uh, the Federal Reserve and and in the case of Lincoln, the money interest between uh, the private money interest between London and New York, uh, that both of those uh, presidents were met their early demise because they dared to take on the monetary uh, lords, the gods of money, as uh, Engdahl calls them. So. Mm-hmm. Very interesting, and uh, I, I know we've had John Perkins on this show who was quite convinced that one of the main reasons that, that we went to war against uh, Saddam in Iraq was because he dared uh, to require payment of his oil uh, for his oil in uh, in euros instead of dollars. I, I don't know if that's, if that's really as proven, uh, as clear as it is with Hillary's email. So Hillary's emails, I mean, the press, of course, hasn't picked up on this at all, have they? No, not on those. The email thing is all about that they were illegally released from, you know, they're done through her personal server. Yes. Uh-huh. But to me, that's like, I mean, I'm glad about that because then that gave us a chance to see her emails. But what's really interesting is what's in them. And they haven't really, I mean, you see it in the alternative media, lots of stuff. Yes, um, yes. That's come out, but it's the regular media hasn't picked it up that I know of. Yeah, it's not surprising at the regular media uh, being who they the are owned by. I media. suppose. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. controlled. Well, we have the we have free difference. speech here, though, you know, Ellen, and I guess we do as long as as long as we're not too important. Um, I don't know. It seems you're pretty important. Your your books have sold a lot, and uh, thank God you're getting those ideas out to people. I think it's very very important for people to understand what's really going on, as opposed to the propaganda. It's just like this whole idea about the reason we went to war. In Libya, I mean, we are such a compassionate nation that we care so much about, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I suppose that most Americans do care about that, and that's why that propaganda works, I suppose. But if the real underlying reason is something else, then we end up making things so much worse. So Sarkozy uh, and the French, I guess, were because of their colonial days, probably with the French-speaking countries of, of North Africa, right, primarily? Right, mm-hmm. And and uh, Sarkozy and France would have seen this as a as a threat to that as well. So, 
Right. So, yeah, they wanted to maintain their dominance in the area. But oh, you know, he, we... You go ahead. Sarkozy had said he saw it as... It saw Libya as a threat to the financial security of the world, which yes. is, it seems like an exaggeration if we're only talking about one little country that, uh, you know, that it will, so even if he's terrorizing his own people, that does not threaten the financial security of the world. So clearly it was about something else. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting, though, that the IMF and World Bank uh, forbid uh, the use of countries using gold as money. They don't allow that. I guess if, and I suppose maybe Gaddafi was at the place where he didn't need to borrow any longer from the IMF, or and so maybe he just, uh, you know, told him to take a hike and decided to go off and do his own thing. I don't know, but I know that yeah. they. Is that right? I, well, that's how they capture those countries, in particularly yeah. in Africa, is to get them in debt to the IMF. So that was another thing. Libya refused to go. I mean, they weren't in debt. They weren't in debt to the West or to Western banks or to the IMF. And the thing about the IMF, if you're in debt to a regular bank and you can't pay, you just default. But if you're in debt to the IMF, you have to agree to all these conditions, including selling off your public assets to, um, you know, big private moneyed interests, um, selling off your banks, et cetera, privatizing your banks so they can be sold off. So, yeah, so Libya just didn't agree to any of that because they... They weren't in debt. Well, it, it seems to me that maybe what they're really afraid of, and this is maybe I'm editorializing a bit, Ellen, in, in an area that you might not agree with me, but the, one of the reasons they might really be concerned and make a statement like that is that, in fact, an honest-based monetary system, I mean, look how well, look how well he did in his country without mm-hmm. debt. You know, I mean, think about it. Look how look how well he did without uh, Gaddafi did in his country without debt. You have an honest monetary system, as Ron Paul always said. Let's just let's not make it let's not make it mandatory. People use gold. Let's just let the free markets decide if people want to use gold to exchange as a money uh, and use it as a as a medium of exchange. Let them be free to do it. But the central banks, of course, don't want that kind of competition. I would say. Yeah. And if the United well, and if yeah, go ahead. And the gold back to NAR was still a paper currency. Yeah. Which, you know, so it's just you could trade it in for gold in theory. But yes. like any other, I mean, if they were funding a $33 billion project with $7 billion worth of gold, clearly they weren't using the gold. The gold was just sitting there to give the currency validity. I mean, yeah, they're, so they're are you so you reserve lending like, like all banks do. They're okay, lending more so you... money than they really have. Okay, so you're suggesting that they did have fractional reserve banking. It wasn't as if it was a one-for-one relationship then. You're saying well, that was I, I about... Well, I haven't really looked into it. I'm, I'm yeah. Just, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm just, I, I'll, do the, I'll do the arithmetic when we finish here, but 143 tons of gold, see what that's worth. But you would have to look at that relative to the amount of money that they had in circulation, all that. I don't know if I have that information, but it's an interesting concept. They probably... I know this is one of the ideas that you have and, and why you don't like gold to be backing a currency because you don't don't want to have the restrictions in terms of the the fractional reserve banking. Well, um, w- one thing I w- one thing I would certainly see the use of gold for now. I'm just now writing on that. There's this you can see this movement toward uh, we're going to all digital, yeah. negative interest rates and bail-ins. I mean, clearly they are about to take the money of the savers. They've already got mm-hmm. the money of the of the the, the in debt. You know the debtors. Yeah. They run out of debtors. All the debtors are 
completely loan, loan, borrowed up. So they have now they're going after the people that are, that save their money. You know, if they're going after us, we then yes, exactly. Them. Yeah. So how are they going to get our money? If they, I mean, they have to steal it in some way. So they have to make it legal to steal it. So negative interest rates. That means that we have to pay them to hold our money. So then we'd pull it out of the banks, but not if they turn it all digital. Because so we can't pull it out of the banks. It only exists as digital money, and then. If they get in trouble with their gambling with our deposits, then we then they get to do bail-ins where they turn our deposits and everything else into stock in the bank. In other words, they mm-hmm. get to confiscate the money. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we avoid that? You're going to have to put your money if you if all if all cash is going to be digital. Yeah. You're going to have to put your money in something else. So gold is an obvious alternative. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned that. Liable. Sorry. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, because we've had on our show a company named BitGold, um, and Roy Sabog, James Turk, was behind it, and actually that allows you to take, you know, I mean, they're going to allow you to buy stuff with your credit cards or with your bank accounts, and so you take your bank account and buy BitGold, you actually buy the gold, and then you can uh, transfer it back to a bank, or, or you can write, uh, whether you can use a credit card, a, a prepaid debit card, essentially, a MasterCard, which I've used. Uh, you load that MasterCard with with gold at the at the price of the gold at that moment in dollars or whatever currency you like, and then take your prepaid card and use it to buy things with. So yeah, I, I'm glad you said because I think that that fits very well. Uh, you know, to take your money out to save it if they're going to take it away from us because the banking system is tottering, uh, teetering on the uh, on the on the edge of the abyss all the time, isn't it? I mean, uh, who knows what our banking system is. They tell us it's it's uh, it's in good shape. You buying it? No, not at all. Well, certainly the European banks aren't in good shape. Yeah, the cars are in good shape because everything's manipulated. So they they can manipulate it up. Well, they can create money out of nothing and then call yeah. it call it capital and give it to the banks. Essentially, is what they've done, and it's just a bastardization of capitalism. Really, it's not an honest. It's it's not capitalism. It's I think it's fascism. It's whatever. That's my label for it. Yeah. Um, yeah so, you, how's that bank doing in, in North Dakota? It's doing well, I think. Huh? The one that you've done some work yes, with. Yes. Well, the people were sort of gleefully watching it as oil collapsed because they thought the bank would go down. But in fact, <laughs> in December, it well, it's had record profits every year since 2004. Like every year, they've done better than the year before. And in 2015, they had their best year ever. So they're still just flying high because they have a very efficient business model. And they're not doing crazy things. Oil is collapsed by. Yeah, but they're not doing crazy things with derivatives and all that like the big banks are, where there's virtually infinite amount of leverage involved. So no, they do very conservative, old-fashioned banking, but they have the advantage that all of the state's deposits are deposited in the bank, so then they can leverage that like, like all yeah. banks do. And, and, and they have very low costs. They don't have a high-paid CEO. They don't have shareholders except the state itself. Um, and oh, that's, that's really the model that, you're, that, you, that you believe in, isn't it, isn't it Ellen? Yeah. It seems to me that um, money is, like, it flows. Like anything that flows that we all share should be a public utility. I mean, I'm not, I don't think everything should be public, mm-hmm. of course, but, but I think 
that the things that, like highways, are obviously need to be public. You don't want a bunch of competing highways. There's no place you can put a bunch of competing highways. Right, right. Um, so we have to share the highways. Well, money is also a flow. I mean, we now know that all of our money is just debt. It's credit, right. debits, credits, which is a flow. It's not yeah. things. That, so this, who's going to be in charge of this flow? Who opens the spigots and decides where they go? It shouldn't be private bankers who clearly have their own interests uh, uppermost. In fact, legally, their own interests are uppermost. All right, Ellen, we're going to have to leave it go at that because we're running out of time. I do want to ask you, though, you said you're, you're writing, uh, uh, just real quickly tell us you're writing something about, uh, about this issue of, uh, of, of gold-backed money or of some alternative or way to, to, uh, to survive against bail-ins. Is there something I, well, coming up? Well, my current article at, is called The War Against Savers. <laughs> and, and that's at ellenbrown.com, right? Uh, yeah, but I haven't posted it yet. Okay, well then, folks, go there. Anyway, there's lots of other good things to read. EllenBrown.com. Go there and look forward to that and many more articles to come. Thank you so much for being with us again, Ellen. I look forward to doing it again sometime in the near future. Thank you, Jay. Uh, Okay, folks, well, that's all the time we have. Uh, Next week, uh, Frank Holmes will be with us, uh, and I do hope you'll tune in next week as well. Uh, Thanks to uh, my producer, my engineer, and all of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 